welcome to the Hot Copy Podcast, a podcast for copywriters all about, you guessed it, copywriting. My name is Kate Toon. I'm a copywriter. I'm the founder of the Clever Copywriting School and the recipe for SEO success. And with me is the flame-haired wonder that is Belinda Weaver. Yes, that's me, of course. My name is Belinda Weaver. I'm also a copywriter. I'm the founder of Copyright Matters and the Copywriting Masterclass. And today we are talking to the lovely Jesse Forrest. Hello, Jesse. Hello, hello, and thank you for having me, ladies. Yes, and if you don't know who Jesse Forrest is, where have you been? Because he is a highly sought after copywriter, digital agency owner, and copywriting coach. He started out writing sales pages for marketing bigwigs such as Jay Abraham, Alex Mandosian, if I've said that right, I hope I have, Dr. Demartini from The Secret. He's written hundreds of sales pages for clients in over 150 different industries. And nowadays he enjoys teaching business owners and copywriters how to write copy in a non-cheesy way over at startcopywriting.com. But you might also be familiar with Jesse from the Write for Business show that Jesse and I recorded together. That's how we kind of met, isn't it, Jesse? Yeah, absolutely. That was a total blast working with Kate, uh, recording all those episodes. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was exhausting, but but fun. We had a lot of a it lot was. of giggles, a lot of giggles. Uh, let's get stuck <laughs> into the episode. Um, I think it's a good idea to first explain what sales copy is. I mean, it sounds obviously, but put simply, uh, sales copy is the text you to use to persuade your readers to take a specific action. So the copy can be used in emails, web pages, brochures, or letters. But while we all know it's effective, many copywriters aren't so keen on writing it. In this episode, we'll be chatting with Jesse about how to write sales copy that drives conversion without being overblown, blown, and cheeseball. Okay, so um, my first question is, Jesse, why do you think so many copywriters cringe when they're asked to write sales copy as opposed to other types of copywriting? The first thing I'll say is, I think that sales copywriting gets a bad rep. It's, it's a bad association that people have with selling. Selling doesn't have to be, a, or sales doesn't have to be, you know, a dirty word. I think it, it's got a bad association because people have a bad association with salespeople. Um, so first of all, you should disassociate uh, sales copy with selling. It's not the same as being, you know, a used car salesman. So that's the first thing. Um, the second thing is I think people cringe because with sales copy, there's an expectation that the copy has to sell. And your copy should be selling. That's the whole point. It should be getting, you know, action. It should be motivating the prospects or the readers to to act, um, whether that's to buy something or subscribe or enter their email address. But I don't think people need to cringe. Um, it's not really the same as being a used car salesperson. And if you use some of the tactics that we'll talk about later in the call, you don't need to hard sell anybody. I mean, you simply need to understand your market so well that, and position the product in such a way that it's gonna be a solution. You don't really have to be this cheesy salesperson. Yeah, I guess it's just that sales copy um, screams of that yellow highlighter kind of sales pages. That's I, I, that's what I think of anyway when someone goes, oh, I need sales copy for a landing page. It just kind of like 
screams of needing conversions and having that yellow card now. Yeah, I agree. And I think it also makes me think of um, those shopping channel type shows where it's all, you know, buy this amazing vacuum cleaner. And, you know, they're sort of really, really cheesy. So it's good to know that we don't have to be cheesy. I think that's, yeah. the, that's the first tip. So I've also heard sales copy called direct response copy. So can you explain maybe why it's called that? Is it, And you've just said all copy is sales copy, really. So why does it have different names? Is that just re- a regional difference? When I first started out, the copy that I was writing was direct response. And so I learned, and I guess my background is in direct response copywriting. Now, not every copywriter who learns copywriting will learn direct response you know there are different types of copywriting uh for example there's i don't know the correct term for it but um it's you know we used to refer it as image-based advertising or even branding and image-based advertising might be things you see or, or branding or brand copy might be things you see from big brands like apple or coca-cola or mcdonald's where they've got millions and millions of dollars to invest in advertising and the type of copy they write is more about brand awareness. So it's not trying to elicit an immediate response from the, from the reader or from the prospect. It's trying to, you know, just remind them by, you know, showing the McDonald's ad a hundred times over a month. They're hoping that the target audience is going to see it so often that when they think of food or when they see the color red and yellow, they're going to want a hamburger. That is not direct response copywriting. Direct response is a complete reaction to branding or big brand advertising because it means what it says. Direct response is trying to elicit a response directly and almost immediately from the prospect. And direct response is also far more efficient because for each $1,000, the business owner invests in direct response copywriting or advertising, they're wanting to make at least $1,000 uh, in return. So direct response is measurable um, and and hopefully gets a good return of in, on investment. Um, whereas other types of advertising, like a lot of people might learn in advertising agencies, is all about brand awareness and image advertising and repetition. And it's not measured, it's not tracked, because how do you measure awareness? You know, um, that's very difficult to kind of measure. I think that's where um, it might feel a bit pushy because it is measurable and it is mm. about conversion and maybe that's what makes people a bit uncomfortable. Well, me certainly, I haven't written tons of sales copy. Um, you know, it's a difference between writing, say, an awareness, awareness copy for a website for a plumber, for example, as opposed to writing a landing page. I've written landing pages, but it does bring that slight amount of discomfort and maybe it's because it's so easily trackable and measurable. Yeah, totally. I agree. Um, I would say that by asking for the order or asking for the response, you know, um, click here to download the XYZ, you know, ebook or, you know, um, sign up today and get X amount of dollars in free bonuses or whatever it might be. To, to some people, that might seem pushy. But actually, I think asking for the order, it shouldn't be pushy. Asking for the order, if it really can help the person reading it, and it is actually a great product, you should be shouting from the rooftops um, about this product if it really can help them, if it really is a solution. 
Yeah, I think the I think the flip side though is for a lot of copywriters who maybe aren't so confident is that that client expectation, you know, that they've spent X amount on this sales landing page or this sales letter, and they do expect a direct return on investment. You know, if it's not converting at a certain rate, well, then you the 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 you know the spotlight is really shone shone on your copywriting skills. Where with brand awareness, it's as you said much less measurable. So I think that's what makes a lot of copywriters feel uncomfortable. And for a lot of other copywriters, I expect that's rather thrilling, you know, being able to say mm-hmm. that they wrote a sales landing page that converted at blah, blah, blah percent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So um, we actually did an, an episode on um, sales copywriting for the Right for Business show. And I know that you're a big fan of the psychology behind sales copywriting. So can you explain a little bit about that? Yeah, totally. So I always love psychology because... To me, psychology is um, is is persuasion, but it's also understanding how you work as a person. So, what makes you tick, and what makes other people tick. So, I was always interested in that. And when I've spoken at seminars about copywriting, especially to people who are marketing managers or even salespeople, I say, how many of you agree that? or or believe you got into your profession because you were interested in psychology and a lot of people put their hands up. So for me, um, you know, sales copywriting really is persuasion in print. It's also psychology in in print because you're able to apply some of the techniques that, you know, Kate, you and I discussed um, on the Right for Business show. Uh, You're able to apply some of the psychological techniques like scarcity, you know, um, um, lots of different, re, 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 I can never pronounce that word, reciprocity, uh, which is the law of if you give someone something for free, they feel inclined to, you know, do something for you in return. So we use a lot of these techniques in copywriting, um, psychology-based techniques, simply because it helps with, you know, convincing people to look at your product in a favorable way or even to, to buy from you. I was just going to say, with all we're talking about psychology and people feeling a bit uncomfortable about maybe being tricksy, <laughs> because it's not. It's not being tricksy. These are all the techniques, um, the, the background to copywriting. I think we need to understand the psychology so that we can understand the motives of the customers and we can push those buttons. That's certainly something that I mention in my course. But maintaining a, a kind of warm tone of voice when selling now you've already mentioned that writing sales copy isn't selling in that hard sell kind of way but you you talk about you know non-cheeseball-y sales copy so how what are some tips on selling without sounding like that snake knife person (laughs) i i really think that there seems to be out there this this real aversion to sales copy this real People seem to be petrified of, 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 of using sales copy. Again, it's that association, that misassociation with, um, with, with salesmen. But um, I think that the tone of voice you adopt should be what your client wants. So if you're a copywriter writing for a client and that client's and the assignment is to sell something that does require some, you know, quote-unquote cheesy sales copy or just a little bit more aggressive sales copy, if you're uncomfortable with that with that client or with that product or that tone of voice that they're asking you to write in, then just don't do it. Don't accept the um, assignment if you're that uncomfortable with it. I have been instructed in the past with certain clients, you know, in in certain industries that did require 
aggressive copywriting just because it was a really competitive market and that's because that's what the client wanted and I have written in that style before. I didn't really enjoy it um, but you know it was a good client, it was a good good fee so I did it. Um, but if, if that's not you and you know from the get-go that you have an uncomfortable feeling writing in an aggressive way or writing in a way that doesn't feel like you're comfortable with, just don't do it, don't accept that assignment. But not all sales copy is cheesy. Not not all sales copy is is aggressive. Um, that's not my belief. Yeah, I agree. I don't think you have to be overblown. I think you can just you know state the features and benefits, and you know I think you can still sell without going over the top. I guess. Mm-hmm. And when you're writing um, a piece of sales copy, whether it's a website or a landing page, what would you say are the most important elements that you have to be included? The most imp- there's a there's a few different formulas, and I, I know that your listeners may or may not have heard of these, but I'll I'll go through them in case they haven't. The first one, of course, that I'm gonna I'm gonna drag out here that a lot of people are familiar with is the ADA formula, which stands uh, for attention, interest, desire, and action. Now, people can Google that and they'll find very detailed, very informative articles on specifically how to use that formula. So I won't go on and on about that here, but one definitely to look at and to learn from, especially if you're a beginner, is the ADA formula. Again, that's A-I-D-A formula. The second one that isn't talked about as often is something that Kate and I have discussed on the Right for Business show is the PAS formula, and that's P. Oh, it's my favorite one. <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah, I like using the PAS formula. Oh, awesome. Um, what do you like about the PAS formula? Well, I um, – because – probably I've jumped in too early you were probably about to explain me the sense of yeah pain agitate solve and I just think opening opening your copy with a challenge the pain point immediately helps immediately tells the reader I get you I understand where you're coming from I understand the pain that you're suffering and I just think that's one of the most powerful ways to get someone's attention 100% agree I'm right there with you Belinda so yeah, uh, and I, I do it, uh, just to run people through it quickly, how I would use it is the same pain agitation solution and um, or pain ag- agitate solve, as you mentioned, or people say problem agitation solve, what doesn't really matter. Um, but I start out with, and I agree, you start out with the pain or the problem. And the way you do that is you write, I usually write three to five questions that I know that the uh, the target audience can relate to. So their pain or problem related questions like, are you struggling with? Uh, do you have restless nights because you're, you know, blah, 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 pain or problem? So I, I start with those three, three to five questions that I know the audience can relate to from a, a problem standpoint. Then I agitate it with a paragraph or two, um, really kind of turning the knife, as they say, meaning reminding them of what it's like to experience and live with that kind of problem. And then finally present the solution. The solution, of course, is tied to whatever the product or service is. So great framework for starting out um, a sales letter. You know, I, I use that all the time. Um, so some of the other elements, so there are two formulas, but some of the elements that I think are must-haves in, in sales copy or sales formula is also proof. I also want to talk about desire, and desire is painting the picture of what life could be like if they had this product or service. What would be the best case scenario? Also, if you know, 
obviously if we're selling something, then the price is going to be mentioned at some point. I do want to use what we call price comparison, where basically before you mention what the price is, you also mention uh, more expensive alternatives. So, you know, um, if you're if you're talking about a gym, let's say we're selling gym membership, we might say, you know, if you don't get fit and healthy, um, you know, what will the cost be to go and see a doctor? What will the cost be, um, you know, uh, to buy your own equipment uh, to use at home? What will the cost be? And you mentioned those more expensive alternatives before you then talk about the monthly price of going to or signing up to that gym. That's just a, a very quick example. But those are some of the things that I would definitely like to include a money back guarantee if the client does actually offer one. Something I definitely want to mention in the copy as kind of a risk reversal to make people more at ease. Um, yeah, those are some of the common elements. You mentioned proof. Is that testimonials? Yeah, testimonials. Testimonials are important. Um, you know, testimonials aren't the only form of proof. You could also have media appearances. I like to think of these as visual proof. So if the client uh, that I'm writing for has been in the media, maybe we can get some screen grabs of them on TV or in newspapers or in magazines or even doing you know public speaking. If we can have any of those kind of visual um, uh, elements, then that, that's great. All of those things help to show to show proof. So one of the things we mentioned at the very beginning is really, really long sales copy. And that's probably what one thing I think of when I think of sales copies is long landing pages. And I think, I don't think long copy is a bad thing, especially when you start working in all the elements that you've talked about. You've got a problem, you've got to agitate it, you've got a solution, you've got proof, you've got testimonials, you've got price comparison, risk reversal, all these things. And it takes up a lot of copy but do you think long copy is more effective and why like just does sales copy have to be long i don't think sales copy has to be long and it's a question i'm often asked and you know there's a few different answers that i can give um the first one is the reason why long copy is long the reason why we often see you know long sales pages long landing pages is simply because they work but People have, you know, people have this reaction to it where they say, well, I never read those. What is the point of them? If I never read them, you know, do they actually work? Well, people do read, but they don't read in the way that we think they do. So people, studies have shown that people skim, scan and scroll a page. They don't actually read it word for word. Now, that's often whether the page is super long or even if it's super short. It's just the way that we consume information on the web. So people will skim and scan and scroll a page, usually asking themselves, what is this page about? Um, you know, does this page or does this information interest me? Um, is this what I'm looking for? Does this page help me? Um, so generally 80% of people will scan a page. Now as copywriters, when we have long copy, generally that page is formatted in a way that it's gonna grab people's attention and stop them from scrolling and scanning. But it's also gonna convey the message of that product in, in what I call chunks. So usually you'll see headings throughout the page, breaking up the page. You'll see shorter paragraphs, you'll see imagery. All of that's designed to tell the message to the scanners and scrollers as they scan it. So they can 
basically get the message of the page without actually having to read it word for word. Now, it's generally only once they've gotten interested in the page, they'll actually stop and start reading in more detail and reading word for word. So that's the first thing to remember. Those long pages are formatted in a way so that most of most people are going to be able to understand them, even if they're scrolling it. The second thing to mention is, you know, long copy is long um, because when you're selling an expensive product or program or service, generally there's more things to mention in order to make the sale. You need more copy to, to, to sell a more expensive product because people have more questions about that product. Um, also, long copy should be long, um, but not long-winded. There's a difference. It's okay to be long because you've got more to say, but you should never be long-winded. Long-winded is where you're rambling or where you're saying, telling a boring story. Um, we don't want to do that. That's a very saying, snappy little line there. I like that. <laughs> that could be a meme for your, for your hot copy podcast. Um, so, yeah, at the end of the day, um, people scan and scroll the page. Long copy does work. It doesn't have to be super long. Um, there's that great quote about Harry Potter books. You know, some of them are, I think, 800 pages, you know, between four and 800 pages. Now, if you look at that book at a glance, you think, well, that is a really thick book. Who would have the time to read all of that? But someone who's interested in Harry Potter might read that book twice. So, you know, if, if the subject matter is not interest, interesting to us, we'll think that it's too long. But if we're interested in it, it will never be long enough. So if, if the copy, if the right people are reading that page, then it will never seem long to them. It will be fascinating and interesting. But to the wrong person, it will seem too long. It's just simply a shift in mindset and also who's actually consuming or reading the page. Oh, I love that. That's, that's fantastic. Very well put. Um, well, you know, once we've got to the end of our very, 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 very long, but just long enough sales page, we always mm -hmm. generally have a call to action. Um, what are your top tips around writing effective calls to action? Yeah, great question. So there's also um, a funny little anecdote about that, about writing call to action copy, especially when it comes to writing call to action buttons um you know my friends over at unbounce um they do a lot of landing pages they've got this great thing where they say never submit so never write the words submit for your call to action button unless you're a dominatrix because <laughs> <laughs> because no one wants to submit right and it might be a subtle choice of word submit but it's such an ineffective, you know, use of copy. Why would you say submit? You know, submit the order, submit the your, your email address. It's much better to say action words or to frame it in the, the language of what do I get if I click this button? What am I getting out of this transaction? So, you know, buy now is not very effective. Order now is not effective. It's much better to say, what do I get? So let's say it's a call to action button and we're, we're wanting someone to enter their email and their first name because we're gonna give them a series of videos. It'd be much better to say, send me the videos, you know, because that's what I'm getting if I enter my information and click that button, send me the videos. Now, the only exception I'll make is add to cart. Add to cart has been shown to be very, very effective. Um, maybe because amazon.com uses it, um, but add to cart, is a very effective call to action button if you're selling something, whether that's an expensive course 
or you know an ebook or or anything in between add to cart seems to work very very well but think about what do what am i giving people um you know if you're selling a course enroll now seems to be quite good i think something about enrolling in a course is maybe associated with universities or higher learning so that seems to be quite effective as well certainly much better than buy now or you know submit i like um when you put into call to actions more personal pronouns like me like get it send me the video because i think that it's a greater sense of ownership over the action. Yeah, absolutely. That's my two cents anyway on call to actions. <laughs> <laughs> um, so one of the things, uh, one of the techniques I like about copywriting in general is when you get to use things like repetition and rhyme because I think that links back to the psychology behind the words and the languages we use. Mm. Um, do you think repetition in particular is a powerful sales tactic? Because I know on on long landing pages that we're picking on quite brutally here, you tend to find, well, well I think it's to capture those scrollers, but you find messages repeated through the page. Is it is it worth doing as a sales copywriting technique? Yeah, absolutely. And we'll explain why that is. But someone who's been using repetition quite recently that I think we're all aware of is one of the presidential uh, nominees or Republican nominee. Um, the initials are D, uh, DT. And, uh, <laughs> are we not allowed to say his name? Is that like oh, we, bringing we, the devil your, out? <laughs> it's your show. I mean, I'm just being subtle. It's like saying Voldemort. We're already having yeah, this no. <laughs> Harry Potter-esque theme, so you can't say his name. But Donald Trump is who I'm talking about, and... Look, who cares what you think about him? Um, that's another whole podcast. But he uses repetition quite brilliantly. And he's, you know, one of the most seasoned salespeople, or you may also call hucksters out there. He's, he's a showman and he knows what he's doing. And he uses repetition and also simplified language to appeal to the most broadest community of people as possible. And it seems to be working for him. Um, but that aside you know repetition is a powerful tactic uh to use in selling but also to use in sales copywriting and you'll see that infomercials use it quite often as well yeah gosh and i am a sucker for those infomercials i have <laughs> i have the robot vacuum i have it i'm ashamed <laughs> to admit it but yeah um my son um who is seven watches a lot uh, watches telly obviously and and he's recently discovered uh channels with advertising on because obviously be, you know before that he was on abc and there were no ads and what i find mm. so it's kind of sweet and sort of almost depressing is he believes everything so you know when he sees that you know the, uh, trivago or something is the best place to find hotels whenever i talk about booking a hotel he's like you've got to use trivago it's the best and there's no mm. questioning the messages that are being given do you know what I mean? It's very sweet. Um, and I wish we weren't all so cynical. Rather than us who kind of watch those ads and think, yeah, yeah, um, whatever. Anyway, that was just a yes. little aside. <laughs> no, totally true. And we are cynical, I think, and that's just a part of growing up and becoming older. But um, I think, though, yeah, I, I think, think that's interesting, though, because I think. You know, I think especially that cynicism um, is, is different from country to country. So, you know, I think I find personally that English people and Australian people are a little bit more cynical maybe than Americans. I mean, that's a huge sweeping generalization. I don't know. But the, 
those those kind of infomercials i i just i can't imagine them going down so well in the uk maybe they do i don't know i just yeah, yeah. interesting it's it's so count to just to jump in there kate it's so counterintuitive it is so counterintuitive i'll give you a very quick example i and i'm sure most of your listeners and and probably you ladies as well would agree that pop-ups on websites tend to be annoying most of the time. They're annoying, especially when you're reading a page and this big thing interrupts you. It's annoying. I thought that for the longest time. But then I read some case studies that said having a pop-up in order to get the email address is something like 10 to 20 times more effective than having just a fixed pop-up or a fixed area on your page where you ask for a name and email. So I reluctantly implemented a pop-up and I made it as unobtrusive and uninterrupting, if that's even a word as possible, I saw my my subscribers skyrocket as a result of having a pop-up. So what we think we, we dislike because we, we don't enjoy them can actually be really, really effective. So we're not always our own demographic or target audience um, that we're asking, you know, to order something. So we find infomercials really cheesy. I know I do. And, uh, you know, even silly and laughable. Um, but some of those, if you look behind the scenes at the results or, you know, the campaigns of those infomercials, some of them have sold like a billion dollars. That's billion with a capital B worth of the products they're promoting, which is just crazy to think about. So we find them cheesy. Other people are picking up the phone and they're actually ordering. So it's just, it's just a mindset shift. I find I can't watch those ads, not because they annoy me, but I find them dangerous because I'm like, this is ridiculous. This this is starting to make sense. This seems actually quite good. And I'm like, turn it off. I've got to turn it off before I buy something. Why you know? wouldn't I order it? Yeah. <laughs> now, the thing I would also say is that, you know, we are um, – both well all of us have sales pages ourselves and I have one sorry for that ping um I have one for my course and Belinda has one and I've also sort of it's got longer and longer and I've applied all the tactics that you know Jesse's been talking about you know the proof and you know the 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 logos and the repetition and the you know all those good things and this call to actions or whatever and it's got longer and longer and longer and it does work it's so true and yeah I was one of those people who also said I hate those long pages I really I just scroll to the bottom so it is true I think you're totally right it just be you're not necessarily your target audience um it's interesting very interesting anyway uh in my little copywriting community often um, the copywriters will come and say you know look I've been asked to write this sales copy and um the client has asked me to to provide uh, conversion rates on previous jobs before they give the go-ahead or they're only going to pay me based on the number of of sales pages that I generate, uh, sales sales that I generate from the page. Sorry, what what do you think of that? Do you think do you think do you think you would succumb to that if a client asked you, or do you think that's unreasonable? It's unreasonable, and let me explain why. So there's two questions really there. The first question is. Some clients will come to you and say, you know, I'm in the, I'm a, I'm a financial planner, or I, or I, you know, my business is offering financial advice, and, you know, before I hire you, I just want to know, have you written for financial planners before, and what results have you gotten for those previous clients? Now that is a fair question, and you know, 
if you if you don't have any results to speak of or you just don't know because the client never got back to you i think it's it's important to be honest and saying look all my most of my clients have been thrilled with the copy i i've written and do i have specific conversion rates on hand no but i could probably put you in touch with some of them you can talk to them if you like so that's the first question the second question is when people come to you and it's happened to me and they say look can you guarantee that the copyright will get you know x conversion rate or produce this many sales can you guarantee that and i turn around in probably quite a snarky way and i say okay mr financial planner can you guarantee if i hire you to be my planner that i'll make x amount of dollars this time next year because if you can't guarantee that i'm not going to hire you and they, I think, see the irony in that question and then realize what they're actually asking because there's no guarantees in life, is there? The only guarantees are death and taxes. <laughs> I love that snark. That's a great response. I uh, love it. But I guess as well, when you write the copy, you hand it over to a client, it, how, they, they, how they package it in the design, how they promote it to their audience. Like there's so many variables on how yes. it can be screwed up. It could be the best copy in the world and there's not so get any conversions. Variables. Yeah, yes. There's so many variables, Belinda. And as we all know that uh, being seasoned copywriters here, the variables are traffic. And this is something else people can say to those those clients that want guarantees on everything. Um, here's the things. The design of the copy. Who who have you chosen to 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 actually lay out and design the copy? Because, you know, that's going to affect the conversion rate. If it's crappy design, it doesn't matter how good the copy is. It's going to con- affect the conversion rate. Traffic source. How are you getting traffic to the copy to the sales page? Who's going to be reading it? How many people are going to be reading it? That's important. If you send the wrong people to this page, of course, it's not going to convert. You know, your product, the market at the time, your competitors. There are so many variables outside of the copy. You know, we're not the only ones responsible for the sale in this process. There's a whole, you know, marketing arena around the copy. Yeah, I really agree. And I think, you know, one thing I've always said is that you know, it's really hard to sell a product you don't believe in. Um, and, you know, yeah. I know that you can't love everything you sell and you can't be the right target audience. But when it does happen, when you do come across a product that you yourself think is awesome, gosh, so much easier to write that copy. Everything just flows, you know, mm-hmm. better. And, um, yeah, it's easier to sell because at the end of the day, sometimes some products are unsellable or it's a really bad idea. And I think it's important that copywriters you know don't just think about the money and oh great this is somebody wants to pay me to do the job look at the product and and maybe have a think about whether you think it's sellable um you know and it's fine to turn a job down because you actually think no matter what you write this product is never going to sell you know um i've done that before you know i've often done that as well yeah gone back to clients and said i think this is you know it's too hard of a get or you know i think your pricing for this is, is way too high and I think you're going to find it a struggle to sell no matter what I write. So, but and, and that can be quite an intimidating thing to do. But at the end of the day, you, you you may end up getting the blame if that product doesn't sell. So it's better to have those difficult conversations up front. Mm-hmm. And I think that links back to maybe the tone of voice that we were talking about at the beginning. Like you, you can still write in an enthusiastic, warm, professional, friendly, conversational tone of voice when you actually believe in the product as well. So if you if you're if you're not clicking with the client and you're definitely not clicking with the 
content or the, the, the product, then you're going to find getting the right tone of voice to convince other people to get with it really difficult to achieve. So it's, it's kind of like any other kind of copywriting really in that respect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. So which, you know, I'm often asked which great examples of landing pages and things like that. Are there any brands that you think really nail the sales copy that they have, which is different, as you mentioned in the beginning. That's not, this isn't awareness campaigns. This isn't their general marketing, but the sales copy that they do. Okay. There's, that's almost a trick question, all due respect, Belinda, because the brands I love, other people are going to look at and go, really? I don't like that. Um, and sales copy I love, other people will have the same reaction. So that's a personal question. But what I'll do to give value here is recommend a free resource. So there's, there's nothing to buy here. It's 100% free. Um, and it's not my own resource. Um, it's a website called swiped.co. I'll oh, spell yeah. that out. I know that one. You know that one? So it's S-W-I-P-E-D, so swiped.co, and that's a web address. If you go there, this person has put in hundreds of hours of collecting some of the best ads from all different types of brands in all different types of industries. So these are examples of great copy from tons of different industries and selling weird and wonderful products. And then he's taken the time to go through and analyze and, and point out in each of the examples what he loves about it and why he thinks it's effective. And it's some of the most brilliant, I think, um, uh, you know, examples, but also uh, breakdown of copy that really gives you a great education in, you know, the thinking behind the copy. And I think if any aspiring copywriter or existing copywriter wants to up their game, it's a great, you know, just wonderful um, resource for copywriters that I think you'll get to see lots of brands and lots of great sales copy. That's fantastic. We'll include a link to that in the show notes uh, for this pod. And we're we're pretty much done, uh, Jesse. This pod is long but not long-winded. So what we'd like to do is end with, I guess, one final tip that you can share with our copywriting listeners to help them improve their sales copy. What I'd like to say is that you can never stop learning. And so I, I fell in love with copywriting because I love psychology and I loved learning about what made people tick and what makes people motivated and what makes people persuaded, what makes people buy. So I think you can never stop learning. And, you know, um, I think if anyone wants to get good at copywriting, one of the best things I did was not only study successful ads like the resource I mentioned, but also practice and I I loved practicing writing out ads and seeing great copy and then either transcribing it by hand or by basically, um, you know, writing my own version of the ad about a different product. So I think you can never stop learning. I've been in this game for 12 years, writing copy for clients and now managing other copywriters, but I'm still learning all the time and I love it. I absolutely love this profession. I love learning about people interesting products, other copywriters. I love talking about copywriting and hopefully that comes across in in this podcast. But I think you can never stop being a student. When you stop being a student of copywriting, that's when I think your skills kind of decrease. So your final tip is basically listen to our podcast. I like that. That's fantastic. Yeah, listen to hotcopypodcast.com. Yeah. But it's an interesting one to kind of write out successful ads. I've heard a lot of people say this, write them out by hand is a really good technique. 
Have you ever done this, Kate? I have to admit, this is not something I've ever done. No, I've 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 never done it. Um, I must admit, I don't write a whole lot of sales sales copy. You know, specific landing page stuff. Um, but I, you know, I think necessarily like the physicality of, of, of writing it is w- one thing. I think you know, I've read a lot of sales copy. I've looked at it. I've, I've understood the elements. But no, I've and I've seen that in a lot of the um, American um, job board uh, copy groups on Facebook, like Cult of Copy. Everyone, yeah, everyone thinking. is always saying, write out sales letters write out sales letters so maybe that's what we need to do belinda that can be our homework for this week yeah don't knock it till you try it right another uh, an alternative to that if people are hesitant about doing it i think it works i did it i I, it works uh for me but you could always read them out out loud so another way if you don't like writing which is a bit weird if you're a copywriter but um if you don't want to transcribe reading them out loud also helps you internalize the copywriting techniques from that process or from that copywriting example. So by writing them out by hand, you actually internalize some of their techniques and that I think boosts your copywriting uh, abilities. I think that's largely why people uh, recommend it. Yeah, totally. And I think, you know, you mentioned that great that great resource there, Swiped. But, uh, you know, creating your own little swipe files of phrases that you like, of, you know, calls to action that you see when you're browsing around the web and when you're shopping, those that's all useful as well. So your own little cheat sheet so that when you do come to writing a sales landing pages, you've got lots to draw upon as well. That was great, Jesse. Thank you so much uh, for coming on board and talking to us about how to write non-cheesy sales copy. We'll include links to your Start Copywriting Facebook group, your Start Copywriting YouTube channel and the website and also uh, to Jesse's agency website as well so you can check out all his bits and bobs. And yeah, that was fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you, ladies. My absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Jesse. Well, we like to finish the show by giving a shout out to one of our listeners. And this week I have chosen Emily McIntyre. So I will read out her testimonial. Are you both ready? Ready. Yeah. <laughs> in in half an episode I'm half an episode in and my copywriting business questions are being answered. Thank you, Belinda and Kate, for one, not rambling and wasting my time. Oh gosh, I think we might have done that today. <laughs> Two, your on-point advice. I will definitely be listening to all the past episodes and following every new one. Thank you. Thank you very much, Emily. That's fantastic. Yeah, I like that one, Emily. Thank you. And if you've enjoyed the show, don't forget to click subscribe. You can also head to iTunes or Stitcher and leave us a rating or review. Your reviews and ratings help other copywriters and small business owners find us. And we love you for it. And we'll give you a shout out on the show. And if we know who you are, we will also give you a lovely juicy backlink from the website for all that SEO goodness. So that's it for today. I think we smashed through sales copywriting. Thanks, uh, thanks, Belinda. Thanks, Kate. Happy writing. I think we're all winning for different reasons here. Definitely. I don't feel like that, but yeah, okay, I'll go with it. Right, should we should we do this?